Good morning, Newport Church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, let's continue. I started a series called... I started a series called Living Stones. And I'm continuing with this series. The title of the message is Living Stones in the Hands of the Master Builder. I'm reading from 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 6. As you come to him, who's him? Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. When Jesus' authority was being questioned, when the religious people of the day saw what Jesus was doing, healing the sick, opening blind eyes, raising people from the dead, multiplying loaves and fishes, when they saw what was happening and when they saw the crowds that were following him, they were threatened by what they saw. And they asked Jesus a question. They said to him, tell us by what authority you are doing these things. Who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered them with a question, as he often did. And he said, by what authority did John the Baptist do what he did? And the religious people didn't know how to answer. They were afraid that whichever way they answered, if they said that he wasn't, he, he, he wasn't of God, then the people would have turned against them. If, he, if they said that John the Baptist came from God, then the people would say, well, why didn't you follow him and believe him and believe what he said? And so they said, we don't know. And then Jesus said, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And then he told a story. And in the story, we get the answer. The story is about a man who has a vineyard. And he has tenants who are running the vineyard. And when it's harvest time, he sends some of his, uh, 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 some of his servants to, to get some of the harvest. And when they go to the field or they go to the farm, the tenants kill them and... The master sends some more, and they do exactly the same. They kill those servants until finally the master says, okay, well, if I send my son, surely they will respect my son. And, they, and so Jesus sent his son, or sorry, the master sent his son, and they did the same to the son. The son was killed also. And when... Uh, he had finished this, he quoted or referred to a psalm that was written by David. And David wrote this psalm a thousand years earlier. He wrote, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. And immediately, the religious people of the day knew that they were, Jesus was referring to them. And that he was referring to the fact that he was the cornerstone. 
And he was the one that was being rejected by the religious leaders. And it said from that day, they sought how they could kill him also in fulfillment of the story that he had told about how the prophets had been killed until finally he, Jesus himself, would be killed. When Peter, the most outspoken of Jesus' disciples, had a revelation that Jesus was the Christ, Jesus spoke about the spiritual house that he was going to build. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus was the rock and is the rock and the cornerstone on which his house would be built. Peter, who Jesus referred to as Peter, Peter, the word uh, coming from Petros, a rock or, or a stone that was being built on a rock. You are Peter, the stone, and on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus, within that statement, was giving an indication of what we're talking about today, that Jesus is the cornerstone, and that we, like Peter, are stones that are being built into a spiritual house. And all of this would, from that time forward, for the last 2,000 years would be built on a revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so when Peter wrote his letter to the church at a later time and said, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. When he said that, he was tying together a revelation that began with David 3,000 years ago that was reiterated with Jesus' revelation of himself as the cornerstone and Peter's revelation of Jesus as the Christ, the cornerstone, the living stone rejected by men, chosen by God, and of each one of us from that time forward being living stones built into a spiritual house. There was a tying together of 3,000 years of prophetic truth. 3,000 years from David. 2,000 years from Peter. Today, God wants us to have that revelation in our hearts and in our lives that we are living stones and we are being built into a spiritual house. I talked at the beginning of the series how revelation is not easily moved from its purpose. Information is easily moved. Information is easily overridden. We cannot build our lives on information, but we can build our lives on revelation. Secondly, a revelation will cause us to put our heart and soul into our divine purpose. Revelation is a motivator. Revelation is spiritual fuel. It will fuel us to fulfill our purpose. And then thirdly, revelation makes us an irresistible force, which is what Jesus talked about when he said the gates of hell will not prevail against us. So three things that we, we have been focusing on. First of all, God is a builder. God loves building. God is a builder. 
Secondly, we are living stones in the hands of the master builder. We're a work in progress. And thirdly, God wants us to build his house with him. God wants to engage us in his workforce. God wants us to partner with him in building his church. I'm being built and I must build because Jesus is a builder and he said, I will build my church. Last week, I shared a story about Michelangelo and the statue of David. Many of you here will, maybe everyone here has seen a photograph of it. Uh, many of you will have seen it in person. But it is the most amazing uh, work of sculpture uh, that I think you could ever see. Many people say that it's not Michelangelo's uh, best work, but it's his most famous work. But the interesting thing about that story, and I began to think about it a little, and I was having a conversation with William after, afterwards about it, as I thought about it, is the similarity with the verse that, uh, that Peter shares about how Jesus was the living stone that was rejected by men, but chosen by God. Is that the piece of stone that Michelangelo used to carve and sculpt the statue of David was a piece of marble that had been rejected by a previous architect, uh, by a previous sculptor. And so it was a piece of rejected stone that became the masterpiece that many would say is the most, uh, the most marvelous piece of sculpture that was ever, ever created. So it was rejected. And the second thing is that, uh, the second thing is that Michelangelo was not the first choice, but he was the second choice for the work, piece of work that was being commissioned. The previous sculptor rejected the stone and refused the job. And so Michelangelo, as a 26-year-old, was the second choice, and he was commissioned to make this masterpiece. And I thought about it, I thought, how, how, how appropriate it is as we think about our own lives. Many of us have experienced rejection. Many of us have been overlooked. Many of us have know what it is to be left out. In fact, that stone was left out for many years. It was left in the open uh, for many years before it was picked up by someone. Maybe you're in that season in your own life. But what a wonderful thing is that the stone that was rejected became the stone that was the cornerstone of God's masterpiece. And that when we've experienced that, we can have that, that sense that God can pick us up. And even though we may not be the first choice, maybe we're the second choice. But God can use us. And out of us, God and us together, we can be shaped into a masterpiece. And so I want to continue with the thoughts that, we've been, uh, that we have been pondering and that we've been talking about. The first was, uh, am I being conformed or transformed? It's a question we all need to ask ourselves on a regular basis, not just once, but on a regular basis. Am I being shaped by my environment 
or am I being shaped by the word of God? We talked about the metamorphosis that takes place. The word transformation comes from two words, meta, Greek change, morph, morpho, form, a change of form. And that within that term is the thought that I am being changed in keeping with my inner reality. In my inner reality, I am Christ lives within me and he is working in me so that the manifestation of who, is, who he is can be expressed in my life. In those moments of frustration, in the traffic, on the 405, in the moments when we're being tested, that we're being changed from one degree of glory to another. So today I want to move on to the next thought. Am I, being, am I building randomly or intentionally? Am I building randomly or intentionally? So here's a passage that Paul writes to the Corinthian church. For we are all God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. We're back to building. You are God's building. We are God's building. We are living stones. And he says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. So Paul's laying the foundation. We're building on it. Did you know that you and I are building on the foundation that Paul laid? But let each one take heed how he builds on it. What's our point? that we can't build randomly, we have to build intentionally. Paul's saying, be careful, take heed, think about how you're building on it. For no foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone lays, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. Do you not know you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Can you see the theme here that Paul is, is teaching along the same lines that we are God's building, that we are building with him, we are building his house with him. And, and he is saying, let each one take heed how he builds. Let me ask you a question. How intentionally are you building your spiritual life? Every one of us has a, I mean, hey, I don't know, I... I I, I know that certainly in January after Thanksgiving and, and Christmas, there is some intention, intentionality in my life, particularly during the 21 days of prayer and fasting to get myself into shape and beat my body into subjection. Some people do it before summer. Some people do it after summer. Some people do it before summer and after summer. But we pay attention to it. We do it with intentionality. Well, in exactly the same way, 
We need to build our spiritual lives with intentionality. Nothing that is built to last can ever be done randomly. It's interesting that when we think about the story of Michelangelo's creation, his masterpiece, the statue of David, that it was said that Michelangelo was preparing to sculpt a, 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 another masterpiece. And he had an 18-foot block of marble. And it was told that what Michelangelo would do is he would sit and stare at that marble all day long and then go home and have his supper. And he did that for four months. For four months, he just stared at the piece of marble, went home, had his supper, came back the next morning, stared at the piece of marble some more, looked at every vein in the marble, looked at every aspect of it, and went home. He carved that statue with intentionality. And I believe it's a great example to us about how we can do what we do to build our spiritual life with intentionality. And that I need to ask myself on a regular basis, the question is, how intentional am I in the process of transformation? Or am I just, does it just happen organically? Because everything that we learn and read in the book, in the Word of God, is that there needs to be an intentionality. There needs to be some systems that we have in place, some processes that are in place to help us to build our lives and be intentional about that process of transformation. And so, as I was thinking about this, I was asking, what are the disruptors in my life when it comes to that process? And maybe you can identify with one or two of these. For example, the first one is disruption. One of the disruptors to the process of transformation is disruption itself. Without going into ground we've already covered, probably ad nauseum, the last two years have been a major disruptor to what's happened globally. And we can see the impact that that's had on the spiritual life of many people not you, because I'm preaching to the choir. Not you who are watching online, because I'm preaching to the choir. But many people who have actually fallen away during this period, or either have habits or patterns of behavior that have become disrupted so that the patterns of their life have changed significantly. Why? Simply because of disruption. It wasn't revelation that caused that. It was disruption. And so I need to be aware of the fact that the things that disrupt my life have the potential to disrupt the process of transformation that I'm wanting to go through. I love books. In fact, one of the first jobs I had was a, in, in Goods Inwards at a bookshop in London on Mar, uh, near Marble Arch on Oxford Street called Claude Gill Books. I think I was 17. And uh, I had the responsibility, it was a famous bookshop, well-known uh, in London, and I had the job of when the books came in, 
I opened the boxes and I took the books out and I made sure that the prices were on them. And I, I just loved handling those books. There was something about it. I love books. I love getting books. I love the smell of books. I, I, I love everything about them. I have piles of books on my, by my bed, piles of them. The thing is, though, I have to read them. Maybe you're identifying with me how many books you've, you have and you've opened and you've started and you haven't finished, but you've been disrupted and you need to finish. So I got myself an app. And this app allows me to read a book in 15 minutes. And I can either listen to it or I can read it or I can listen to it and take notes. And so I signed up for the app and I figured that at least I can do 15 minutes. I can do at least two books a, uh, two books a, a week. That's 100 books this year. If I, if I open the app. But so far, I have read two books. One of them is called Deep Work, and the other is called Atomic Habits. And of course, I'm not reading the whole book. I'm telling you, it's, a, it's broken down into chapters, and it's a synopsis of each chapter, but it gives you the concept. And I figured for what I do, it helps me with new concepts and new ideas and new thoughts in, in my communication. One of these is called deep work, and it talks about the difference between deep work and shallow work. And basically, the principle is this, is that most of us have an inclination towards shallow work rather than deep work. Shallow work is work that you do without even thinking about it. It's uh, maybe um, emails, for example that don't require a huge amount of attention paid to them. Uh, some of the tasks that we do that we can do mindlessly without thinking about them. And the interesting thing is that um, great achievements come out of deep work. Deep work requires attention. Deep work requires focus. And the time period that they discuss in this book is a two-hour time period where you invest yourself 100% into that task without any distractions. So you turn off all your notifications. You don't answer any of your texts. You turn off your phone. You do not allow yourself to get into a place where you can be disrupted. And in that two-hour period, you can achieve way more than you could if you were doing what most of us do, which is to multitask. And here's the thought. The thought is this, that when you switch from one task to another, there is mentally a attention residue that is remaining from task A that will, you will carry into task B. Does that make sense? So some of the things that you've been thinking about in task A, especially when you're multitasking, you carry into the ne next task that you're doing and into the next task. And so we, we are continually managing this task residue from one task to the other. So they, the, the encouragement is to 
Although we favor shallow work, to pay attention to engage in deep work. And the whole concept of this is that it's disruption that prevents us from going deeply into any matter. And so when it comes to our spiritual life, I can't be reading my Bible while I'm continually being interrupted. I can't have my time of prayer unless I basically switch off everything else so that I can spend time devoting on my time with God or with any, any spiritual development, whether it comes to reading or any other engagement that I am in that is helping me to develop my spiritual life and that process of transformation. And they recommend that you, that you use rituals and routines which require less focus to engage in so that you can make those things a part of the daily pattern of your life. For example, when it comes to my spiritual life, 44 years ago I accepted Christ as my Savior and I discovered a truth about tithing. And to start with, I didn't really understand it, but I thought, okay, I'm going to put God to the test, and I started to tithe 44 years ago. Ever since then, tithing has become a part of my life. It's a part of my routine. I Actually, I don't even have to think about it because it's on automatic. I, and now we have automatic ways of doing it. But in the past, every Sunday, when it came to tithing, tithing was never a sacrifice because it was a part of my life. And I knew the principles worked. I knew that 90% if I gave my, the first 10% of everything that came into my life, I know I would bet the farm on it. I don't have a farm, but I would bet the house on it. That 90% will always go further than the 100% if I hold on to it. And so tithing became, I don't, it doesn't require any energy. I mean, <laughs> I know people over the years when it comes to tithing, they're, oh. It's like, oh, will I, won't, the, the energy that's required, well, that's all gone. When we, when we make, for example, Sunday, the first day of the week, I don't have a huge decision, I don't check the weather, what's the weather report tomorrow for church? You say, that's okay, because you're a pastor. I am a pastor. But before I was a pastor, I don't have to check the weather report. I don't have to check all my, so, my social calendar and all the invitations. Have I, got a, have I got a better offer than church this morning? No. I, I've talked about this before. I have saved myself from tens of thousands of decisions and hours, hundreds or maybe thousands of hours of agonizing. Will I go to church? Will I not go to church? And all the guilt that goes with it. Self-imposed guilt. Are you hearing what I'm saying? No. Sunday morning, I go to church. I give the first Sunday, the first day of the week, I've always done it to honor God. No, there, there's a ritual, there's a routine in my life. Prayer. The psalmist David says, early in the morning, I will seek you. Do it early. First thing, when, you, when you're in bed. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. When it comes to reading the word, is this the blueprint of my life? 
Or is it just a reference book? How intentional am I in the process of transformation? And without going into in deeper detail, it's interesting that they talk in this book about deep work, about the value of what they call systematic idleness. Do you know what that is? See this? It's turning it off. It's sitting across the table from your wife or your kids and just hanging out, talking. It's sitting there in the lounge room with your feet up, not going like this. Yeah, I know we all, we all, I do it because we're, we want to know. It's switching off and the energy that we've depleted is replenished. And deep work requires fighting distraction. We're going to close. I'm going to get our team to come. They are already here. Okay. You're already here. Well, where's... There he is. We're waiting for the last part of our team to come. Would you stand with me? There's so much more that I could share, and I'm just taking my time as we go through this because I hope... This is helpful. How intentional am I in the process of transformation? I've been asking myself this question because I feel it's such an important thing for me to continue to do. And I love the thought about how when we accept Christ, Christ dwells in us. Jesus is perfect. And when he comes and dwells inside of us, he causes our spirit to be alive, to come alive. And Paul says, when we do that, we become a new creation. The old things have passed away and all things have become new. I'm, when I accepted Christ, I became a new creation. The old things had passed away. I was a new person. But there was a problem. What was inside me needed to be expressed through every aspect and area of my life so that the outward expression of my thought life, my heart, my life as a whole was an expression of what had happened on the inside of me. That process is the process of transformation which Paul talks about that we are transformed through a process of metamorphosis from one degree of glory to another so that the outward expression of our life can be a reflection of the inner state of our being with Christ in us the hope of glory and if you're here today or you're watching online and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, or maybe you want to make a recommitment of your life to Christ, then today I want to give you an opportunity to do that, to accept Christ as your Savior so that you can be born again, 
The old things can pass away. All things can become new and you can begin that process of transformation. And so I'm going to ask you to pray. Would you close your eyes? You may say, well, is it as easy as that? Yes, it is as simple as accepting Christ and what he did. And the process will begin and you'll receive new life, the gift of eternal life. And the Spirit of God will dwell within you and awaken you to his grace, his love, his goodness and his purpose for your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus. I open up my heart and I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior and my Lord. Forgive me. Give me a brand new start. And I believe that today I have been born again. I'm a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Would you give Jesus a big hand? Let's thank God for his grace and his goodness. If you pray that prayer, we have a team that would love to meet with you or uh, give you some information. Um, we, if you're watching online, the information is there. You can connect with us. We have a book we'd love to give you called following Jesus. It goes systematically through some of the fundamental things that you can do to create those patterns in your life uh, as you engage in that process of transformation that God wants to engage us in. We're a work in progress. Anyone here? You're a work in progress. We are a work in progress. We are being changed from one degree of glory to another. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to pray for you. We have coffee. Do we have coffee, William? We've got coffee outside. Make sure you go to the book stand there. Check it out. And uh, I'd love to connect with you out there in the foyer. Let me pray for you. Father God, we thank you for today. I pray for every person here. Whatever challenges people are facing, whether it's sickness, we pray for your healing. Whether it's financial, we pray for your provision. Whether it's relational, we pray, Lord, for healing and relationships and restoration. Lord, whether it's uh, needing direction, we thank you that you lead and guide us. And that you, Holy Spirit, will lead the way. Whatever it may be, if it's discouragement, may people be encouraged. Lord, I pray your rich blessing, the peace of God that makes rich and adds no sorrow, for each and every member of our church, those who are here and those who are not here, those who are near and those who are far. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Have an amazing week. See you next Saturday. Come and join us for our Working Bee. We'd love to have you with us. God bless you.
Yeah. 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 Yeah.